Hey everybody, welcome back to the final third. We have an amazing show for you guys today. We talk all about VAR, Video Assistant Referee, on how to improve it, what's wrong with it, and how we can tailor to be the best thing it could possibly be. But before that, we talk all about World Cup 2026, which US cities should get the hosting rights. It's a great discussion. We can't wait to go deep into both of these topics right here on The Final Third. As always, follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show. Again, at Final Third Show. And, you know, give us a rating. Follow us on wherever you guys listen to us. That would be amazing. All right, enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Final Third. My name is AJ Tupura. I'm joined by Jack Seeprasad. Jack, how are you today? Doing well. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to go in depth on some interesting discussions that we have today. Yeah, so if you guys haven't heard uh, the episode that we released earlier this week, we're changing up the format. We're releasing two episodes per week now. One of them is going to be news and our predictions really look at the happenings of world soccer at that moment and then today's episode the episode gets released later in the week we're going to talk more about the big picture talk about discussions that permeate throughout the soccer world some some things that you can't talk about just for five minutes we need to spend at least 20 or so minutes talking about and so you know that's what we're going to do today we have an amazing show for you We're going to talk all about the World Cup 2026 and the cities, as well as how to fix video assistant referee. And with that, we're going to start off with that U.S.-centric topic. The 2026 World Cup just released their short list of cities. And so this is uh, pretty interesting. I'm going to name off all the cities, uh, beginning with the U.S., in alphabetical order. We have Atlanta, Baltimore, Boston, Cincinnati, Dallas, Denver, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Miami, Nashville, New York slash New Jersey, Orlando, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Seattle, Washington, D.C. In Mexico, we had Guadalajara, Mexico City, and Monterey. In Canada, we had Edmonton, Montreal, and Toronto. So those are the venues. It looks like Mexico and Canada will either get two to three of their cities uh into the final tournament but united states out of 16 can only take 10 to the final dance jack just first look at these cities which ones do you think stand out to you well there's quite a few that stand out that are really interesting the big one that really pops out right away or the big two i would say have to be seattle and dallas you know i think those are I think those are two of the bigger ones that pop out immediately. Why those? those? Well, Seattle, obviously, like, you've got the Seattle Sounders, who are arguably, like, one of the biggest MLS teams in recent years. And, uh, you know, they've made it to two MLS Cup Finals in two years. Uh, They've won one of them, and they're they're an impressive team. And CenturyLink, or Lumenfield, sorry, as it's now known, is... Please, Please be correct. Yeah, is is an absolutely amazing stadium. It's a really good example of a stadium for a different sport for NFL games, typically adapted into an incredible soccer stadium atmosphere. So that one really pops out up for me because, you know, Seattle Mm -hmm. have been pretty big in MLS since they joined it. 
in I think it was 2009 or 2011. I can't remember. And they, which they one have a really good fan base, so you know that they're oh, going to yeah, show up. Exactly. Yeah, that that's the other big thing. Like it, it, it's a huge city for that. And then Dallas, I think, is a really interesting one, just because you know FC Dallas have one of the best youth academies mm-hmm. in in the U.S. right now. And probably in North America, to be completely honest, uh, they they're you know their younger academy players have been training with Bayern Munich, uh, and they've been you know they've had a ton of defenders go overseas recently, uh, and they've been a really a really good place for soccer development in the U.S. So I think that it really makes sense for them to get a host city because of everything they've com- uh, contributed to the u.s yeah. and uh the so culture like th- of soccer do you yeah. think it's like throwing them a throwing them a bone like like recognizing that dallas is a really important soccer city because you know the way i see it like dallas i full disclosure i do have dallas in my top 10 in like my like lockdown cities uh, but you also have to notice that fc dallas they don't draw huge fans this isn't even going to be an fc dallas's stadium this is at&t stadium home of the cowboys so like, do you do you think that they should get that spot based on on merit alone, or do you think it has to? You have to take into account the fan base, and you have to take into account the location. Well, I think it's got to be a mix of both because you know when you had the World Cup being hosted in Russia uh, two years ago now, uh, you know their their domestic league doesn't draw as big of crowds as most other domestic leagues. So you had to choose it more based on location. And there's a few things that I think really lends Dallas other than the youth Academy uh, and all of the, all everything they've contributed to us soccer. It's in a pretty major city. Like Mm -hmm. if, if you ask someone overseas to name an American city outside of like New York and Los Angeles, you, you'd probably guess that Dallas would come up relatively often. It's well known. And it's a, it's a pretty large city. Uh, it makes a lot more sense than some of these other cities on the list, to be quite honest. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you also have, yeah, it's tough because you're right. Their, their fan base is not as big as many other MLS teams, mostly because in past years, they've been kind of underwhelming with performances. Yeah. Interesting. It's, it's a, that's a, that's an interesting way to look at it. I do believe that how well the fan bases are received or how well the, t- the MLS teams are received in that city should play a, a good role. But I don't think it's necessarily the major uh, major role, the, you know, the major lens that we should be viewing uh, how we pick these teams. And obviously, you know, neither of us are going to be on the selection committee. It, 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 it doesn't really matter what we think, but there are some criteria that I think should be upheld in order to decide, you know, where these hosts should go. And for me, number one is population slash location. I know that the World Cup is going to want to is they've expressed their desire to to spread out the cities. So some are in the West Coast, some are in the East Coast, some are central, some are mountain time. And so you have to keep that in mind. We also keep in mind, like the population has to be high enough in order to like support 
the the people that are coming in because this takes a lot of infrastructure the olympics and the world cup take a lot of infrastructure you know uh duluth minnesota can't host the world cup (laughs) there's just no way i don't i don't even think they have an airport that can fit seventy thousand people in it so you have to keep in mind you know this has to be a major metropolitan area that has the infrastructure preferably already in place to support the the thousands of people that are going to be coming in and out during the the month of the world cup but you also have to keep in mind secondly is how cool of a city is the this potential host city and and that's a weird way to put it but just think about it would you rather have people coming over spend their times in baltimore or los angeles you're going to want to pick los angeles and thirdly, you have to keep in mind uh, a lot of different things. A, uh, the fan base that already exists there. Have you already played games there and have they already been well received? So obviously, number one on my list that should definitely be selected is Los Angeles. We played, you know, a thousand games there, perhaps. We know that a lot of people live there. We, we know it's a tried and tested city. And it's also very multicultural. So we're talking about like the fan base. We're talking about if it's a, if that city has been host to major tournaments like the Gold Cup or the World Cup before. And we also have to look at when we think about the fan base, is it a multicultural city? You know, the, you brought up Dallas. I thought you were going to take it to the fact that it's near the Mexican border. Mexico is going to have three cities, but you know, if you have Dallas, they can just drive up, and if there's a Mexican game there. There you go. There's Dallas. Uh, you have cities like Miami and Los Angeles who are very multicultural. If you have uh, if you have teams from South America or Central America, they're going to show up. You know, New York, any team from around the world, they're going to have fans there because they have a, a very melting pot vibe in that city. So when you keep, keep all these in mind, like the, the cities that I think should definitely be looked at that are like lockdown is Los Angeles, New York slash New Jersey, Atlanta, Seattle, Miami, and Dallas. Jack, do you, do you have any objections to that? Interesting. This was something I was thinking about because okay. obviously you have two cities in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got Orlando and Miami. And in my mind, you know, you can't have two being yeah. in the same state. It doesn't make sense. So it kind of comes down to like, what uh what you want from that and i when i was thinking about this like personally i love orlando because i i just i i I like disney world quite a bit Uh i've been there way too many times to be honest uh but i i i love disney world so i love orlando but at the same time i think that gives the wrong kind of vibe for a world cup game like you don't want it yeah i i don't think i don't think like you know, the vibe you want is, oh, yes, tourist town for mm-hmm. this. Like, uh, because, you know, Orlando kind of gives off that vibe to me. And at the same the- time, Miami, like you said, yeah. super multicultural. Uh, it's a huge, like, uh, it, it would be huge, hugely popular there. It would, it, have, it would bring a ton of fans already. Whereas Orlando, you know, Orlando City, they have, they've had decreasing attendances for quite some time because yeah. they've been pretty underwhelming in MLS making the playoffs for only the first time this past season. And but that's uh, not my, to say that that national teams that play there 
don't draw. I mean, the, the right, U.S. Right. plays there all the time. They draw. Uh, they've. I'm pretty sure they've hosted Gold Cups in the past. They've drawn. So I, I, I don't know how much of a comparison you want to draw between right. Miami and Orlando in that way. But the, please continue. Yeah, I think the thing that sets Miami over the edge after all of these factors, though, has to be the fact that Inter-Miami just started there. And it's mm-hmm. bringing in international attention. Like, right. you know, like teams from all over are inner Miami is one of the names they're going to think of when they think of soccer in the U S now, e- even though they're not established and they didn't play particularly well yeah. throughout the season. It's because of David Beckham, because of blaze Matuidi, because of Gonzalo Higuain that draws that name to the front of people's minds. And because of that, I mean, you know, we're looking like five years into the future, right? So mm-hmm. by that time, they could be like a huge powerhouse in, in the Eastern Conference. Do I think that might happen? Potentially. It's tough to see that to see that happening on the current path they're on, uh, as we talked about in an earlier episode. But, you know, uh, I think I think Miami has to be the choice you go with in Florida if you're if you're only picking one in this area, right. obviously. And, and I think you have to. I I do think what David Beckham is building in Miami is gonna is gonna help because they're he's building a brand, right? And that's only gonna help with getting Miami as a cultural powerhouse in the soccer world out there. I mean, my let's be honest, Miami doesn't need any favors. Miami's a, a world city. He, he, yeah. he, they don't need any more help. But there's something to say about that. I don't know how much weight you can put into, and I keep on coming back to this, like how good of an MLS city it is. Because I'm going to get to some cities where they're not great MLS cities, but they just have so much potential that it's hard to ignore. So, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna list off a few, and I I want to get you like your general opinion. So, Los Angeles and New York slash New Jersey. Let's just call it New York for this. I feel like you just you kind of have to pick them. Oh yeah, obviously be, because you they're the biggest not. cities. Uh, when, multicultural. Yeah, they have pretty good MLS teams too. Right, and also like when someone from overseas thinks United States, the first thing that they're thinking of is either New York City or LA. That that's just yeah. what they're thinking of right away. I, I think the final I don't know if this is confirmed, but I think the final is actually going to be in MetLife Stadium in uh, in New Jersey. So, OK, so I mean, I guess you kind of have to pick it. And with the Rose Bowl, like e- even if even if Los Angeles was like was not this great grand city, not that it's grand, it's Los Angeles. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> this big, large population city. The fact that it's going to be the Rose Bowl and the Rose Bowl has so much history. I, they hosted the 1992 World Cup or 1994, 1994, 94. Oops. 1994 World Cup. It, there's a lot of history in there. You, you have to pick Los Angeles, Atlanta and Seattle. Do you think Atlanta? And you said Seattle you want to have, but Atlanta. The, when I think of Seattle, I also kind of think about Atlanta as a host city. Atlanta has, you know, very strong attendance from Atlanta United. They have a really, really big stadium that works well with soccer. And it's it's not a, a city that you necessarily think of when you think of USA, but it's still like a very, a very American city that has a large population, has the infrastructure. Like, what do you think about Atlanta? Right. I I think that Atlanta is also a very good option to pick because as you said Atlanta United 
honestly, like, they haven't brought as big of a profile to, like, MLS as other teams like, you know, the LA Galaxy and Inter-Miami have, but they've brought, like, quite a quite an interesting profile just because they wait, still wait, wait, sorry do... did, did you say atlanta united didn't bring a, a large profile they're like not not as big as some other ones as some, some other teams th- as I the la they... galaxy like i'm i'm saying okay, like a bigger la state. galaxy okay, yeah like LA galaxy. la galaxy like that's bringing like a huge profile it's obviously brought a pretty big one because you know you have miguel Almiron and uh like joseph playing martinez. in the premier league yeah, yeah you have joseph martinez uh so like it's it's obviously a, a big city and it's brought in good attendances and I I also think like you know like you said their stadium is incredible mm-hmm. it has it it easily has one of the best like like I I obviously haven't been there but just from what I see on TV when it's like a full stadium it looks like one of the most fun stadiums to be mm-hmm. in in MLS Besides Allianz Field, obviously, yeah, but like, you know, it, it's, it, it's so, it looks so fun and it looks like a perfect place to hold some World Cup games. The stadium is beautiful. It looks like the kind of venue that you'd have for an, a massive yeah. international event. Yeah, I think it's, it's one of the most state of the art stadiums in mm-hmm. the entire country. It's built for big crowds. It's built for big events. Uh, Atlanta is definitely in the top of my list, but you know, with that, you know, those are like my lock-ins. Do you have any more lock-ins, or if you don't, you can hop into like your your cities that you think should should at least get a look. I don't have many other lock-ins that you have that you haven't already mentioned. You know, New York, Los Angeles, yeah, uh, Miami, Seattle, Atlanta, and Dallas are like the big ones that I see as like they really should be included mm-hmm. if i mean like uh going into then like you know ones that should get a look in yeah i think i think when i was going through this you know i noticed my list is very coast centric like very coast centric the most the most middle you get is dallas but even then you're getting pretty close to like a border okay i think you need some from the middle of the country as well i like, also agree because you, you have to Right now, like a lot of like our list, even right now, is Dallas and East Coast, West Coast. Like, you gotta have some mountain or central time there just to balance right. it out. So, uh, who who are your picks? I think I, I think I might know. There's not a lot. I mean, yeah, it comes down to uh, like there's a few picks that you can choose from. There's either Cincinnati, Nashville, kind of, uh, Kansas City, Denver. Like, though that that's those are the picks that you have. Okay. And personally, I would go with either Denver or Kansas City. Interesting. And my rationale behind these is Kansas City has had a pretty good MLS team like for a while. Like they have mm-hmm. been one of the biggest names in MLS for like more domestic fans, you know, like they they've been pretty big whether they're, you know, uh the Wizards or Sporting KC. It's a pretty big city. It it has it has like a, a pretty good uh a pretty good mix of like uh it's not all like one demographic group. It's it's pretty it's pretty diverse compared to like most places in the Midwest, you know. Fair. And uh I I think just because of everything they've done in MLS, so like over over the years, I think they have to be included. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think not even on merit. I think Kansas City is a good shout. They're actually, they're on the border of me, like, cutting them. They're, like, number 10 on my list. Okay, okay. Kansas City, I don't know if it's just because I like Arrowhead Stadium a lot. I think Arrowhead Stadium is one of the most underrated stadiums in terms of, like, just, like, beauty. Which is weird to think, because I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's, like, old and ugly. I think it's very historic. I like it. I think Kansas City is a good diversity pick almost where you have these like really really big sexy cities and you have kansas city you know you have sexy cities that like that show how glamorous the u.s is la new york seattle but then you have one where it's like this is this is what america looks like it's kansas city missouri which might not be the best look for america but you know uh, i like it and for denver I also picked Denver. Okay, okay. I picked both of them as like my my mountain time, central time cities. I think Denver is the perfect choice for mountain time or like that central area because it's still a relatively big city. They have, uh, where do they play? Sports Authority Field at Mile High. I can't believe I said the, the full name. <laughs> Good capacity, 76,000. Uh, Denver is like a good city it's a really really good city for for tourists to come through i i think it's uh i think it'd be nice because you know the world cup's all about showing off the cities right showing off right. the stadiums like really like highlighting the coolness of all these different cities so you want to have uh a little bit of diversity kansas city's that that almost small town kind of feel for diversity and for denver their diversity comes from the fact that in the background there's mountains and that's that's really cool to to show off. Right. Another place that I really want to show off. And I don't know if you agree with this, because I know you said they can't be in the same state. OK, I picked San Francisco. OK, I picked San Francisco because I know L.A. has the best chance for getting a, uh, a, their stadium picked. San Francisco doesn't have an MLS team. They have one in the Bay Area, but not necessarily San Francisco. So. You know, if if you want to do it on MLS merit, you know, fine, maybe not San Francisco. But they still have a really, really good stadium, Levi's Stadium, who have right. hosted gold cups before. They have the infrastructure. San Francisco's cool as heck. They have the Golden State uh, Bridge, not Golden State. Was it Golden? Is it Golden State Bridge? Am I losing my mind? Yeah, it, it, it's Golden State Bridge. I'm pretty I, I, sure. I've been there. I've been there twice in my life. And I now, now you're making me doubt this, but I'm pretty sure it's the Golden State Bridge. Because <laughs> they have the Golden State. See, it's because they have the Golden State Warriors. And I yeah, was like, I, is that? But I, the, I, I feel like that's what it is. Yeah. Hey, editor AJ here. Uh, it's not called Golden State Bridge. It's called Golden Gate Bridge. Obviously, we're, we're so dumb. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Back to the show. They, they, they have they have the bridge. They have tourism. I also picked Washington, D.C., for pretty much the same reason uh it's on the east coast near new york but it's there's it's great for tourism it's the capital of the entire country uh and fedex field it's not the best field but it's still it's still fine i think i think my rationale for those two cities are relatively the same like what do you think about those two that that's a fair pick uh and yeah i i i think you know san francisco and the bay area is a pretty good pick, honestly, just because... Did, did you not pick them? It's okay if you didn't. I, I don't... They, they were kind of on the edge, you know? Like, okay. they're, they're... It feels like it could be there, but 
again, like if if you're doing one per state between Los Angeles and San Francisco, I feel like you have to go L.A. Okay. Just because of Rose Bowl. But yeah, if, if that's know, your rationale, I understand. Yeah, but just going off of that, because you mentioned how San Francisco has a lot of the infrastructure, and I think uh, before we move on to our next topic, we do need to talk about some of the infrastructure stuff that plays into all sure. of the selection, right? Because uh, recently, uh, today actually, it was announced by Montreal's government that they right. would not financially support anything to do with like hosting world cup games which is a huge deal because you know like fifa have pretty exorbitant asks for for team for any host city uh in order in order to get it in chicago you know which would which would be a shoe-in pick i think for a for a world cup game actually pulled out they pulled out of it because of how of these demands that fifa made and i think that you you know that you have to think about a lot of these through that lens as well. Like which one, which of these cities are going to be willing to do that as well. And that's why, that's why I feel really bad. Like, you know, Cincinnati would be kind of an interesting pick just because it would be FC Cincinnati deserves a little bit of love after their tough seasons. Yeah. Uh, But it, they, I, I just feel like you can't, you can't really justify putting it there, placing that huge burden on Cincinnati, uh-huh. given that, you know, who really wants to go to Cincinnati for a game? Same, same thing with right. Baltimore for me. Right. I also right. cut Baltimore. I also said no to Houston, just because it's like mm-hmm. Dallas, they're a bit close. Nashville, on terms of in- infrastructure, they are a big city. And I know it's kind of hypocritical because I said Kansas City can <laughs> get it. But like Nashville's like A, not as sexy to me, and B, I don't know how much of a history they have, like hosting big, big tournaments. So I don't know. Yeah. And also just like going back to the theme of like, you know, this is about showing off the country. Nashville is too close to Atlanta for me, even though they're pretty far apart geographically. It's too close to like the South. You've got to have some Midwest representation because as unsexy as the Midwest is. You have to show off all of America if you're going to host the yeah. World Cup. I, I mean, you have for to. us, we only said Kansas. Kansas City is like the only like real Midwest city, right? Like to be and fair, even then, it's like pretty close because it's Missouri, yeah. and that's like really close to not quite being Midwest. So I, I mean, to be fair, there's not many places in the Midwest outside of Chicago and potentially mm-hmm. Minneapolis-St. Paul. Yeah, that could have hosted it, but Minneapolis-St. Paul didn't want anything to do with it. They pulled yeah. out of it pretty early. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to be a really interesting debate to see how this develops, though. Mm-hmm. I just looked up real quick uh, before we, you know, summarize our, our thinkings about this topic. I looked up the 1994 World Cup venues. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a th- this is a good idea to look at in order to decide what cities we should pick. Uh. Obviously, we have New York City with Giant Stadium, which is uh, now MetLife Stadium or was torn down or whatever. We had Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit. Uh, If Detroit was an option, I feel like Detroit would have to be picked, if not Chicago, if not both even. I feel like Detroit's like one of those big cities that you can't like Detroit is like pretty much as industrial Midwest as you can get without, without being like totally like in that kind of 
you know, that perception of what industrial Midwest is. It's modern without being like exactly overly modern. Next, we had Stanford Stadium in San Francisco. So again, you know, San Francisco. I don't know, man. Yet uh, the Rose Bowl, obviously. Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Gotta pick Dallas. Soldier Field in Chicago. I am so sad Chicago didn't get picked. I love Chicago. Soldier Field would be great. The Citrus Bowl in Orlando. Actually, I didn't know this. I haven't really thought about it at all. They did host. So Orlando does have a history of hosting. Interesting. A World Cup. Uh, we had Foxborough Stadium. If, if if it goes to Foxborough in in Boston, I'd be so sad. Yeah, like, no, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to see it in Boston. Yeah, no thanks. It's, a, it's an it's an UG city. It's because <laughs> it's not Boston. It's Foxborough. Yeah. And in addition to like all of that, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's that that's horrible infrastructure. If you go on to get like fans from from Boston down to Foxborough, no way. And we had D.C. United's beloved RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. Again, Washington, D.C., I feel like you got to pick it. Right, right. So, you know, with that, I feel like our misses are Nashville, Houston, Boston, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Orlando. Like, unfortunately, the, the other 10 cities that we mentioned, Los Angeles, New York, Atlanta, Seattle, Miami, Dallas, you didn't believe too much in San Francisco. Uh... I, I, I think I think you could go. I think you could definitely make a convincing argument for it. It's just that I I feel like uh, overall, if if you were to like take one of those out to in favor of another, Maybe I feel San like Francisco. I feel like that in favor of like I guess Detroit would have to come up first since Detroit's yeah. not even on the list. But I feel like I I don't know San Francisco. Just it, I feel like L.A. is a better representation of California. Of California. Okay. Well. Well, since since they're taking ten, I, I don't know if you actually wanted to pick Denver, or Washington D.C. as well. But like, so who's rounding out your list of of ten? Ooh, okay. <laughs> Before I move this on to uh, the yeah. next one, let's see: New York, L.A., uh-huh. Washington D.C., yes, Miami, Seattle, Atlanta, Kansas Dallas. City, Dallas. Um, I'm, and I'm, your final three. Yeah, or I have two more, if I'm counting correctly. More? Yeah, I think. Uh, Denver, and... And then? I mean, I only have one left, so I don't think I'm missing any other ones, so I guess I'll have to say San Francisco, just I to mean, round it up. If, if you went with Nashville, or... Cincinnati... Uh, I don't know, man. It's, it's yeah. either, it, the last one's either San Francisco or Orlando. That That's what I'll say. For, for you, it, okay. Yeah, it, it's one of those two. Uh they're pretty much interchangeable because they're both duplicates of states, but, uh, you know, I, I could make a convincing argument, I think, for either one of them. Okay, well, everyone that's listening from Boston probably hates us right now. Yeah. Because <laughs> no way should Boston host the World Cup at this point. No way. No. They can host the Super Bowl. That's fine, but no. Yeah. No, no, not the World Cup. Yeah. All right, well, with that, let's move on to our world topic, which is... You know, how do we fix video assistant referee? How do we, is video assistant referee even needed at this point? Jack, why don't you walk us through like what video assistant referee is and the reason why it's the most hated thing to happen to soccer since <laughs> since uh, Maradona punched in that goal. Well, uh, VAR, video assistant referee, is 
exactly what it sounds like. You know, it's uh, when there's a controversial play on the field, whether it's like a potential offside call, if it's a handball for a penalty or, you know, something else like that. A foul. A goalkeeper going off this their line, a foul for a red card. Uh, they uh, send that footage, or, I mean, they have the footage live, sent to a specific facility where someone produces lines on a screen if it's for offside or, like, plays in super slow-mo, like a, a clip to uh, kind of, you know, figure out what happened and mm-hmm. then tell the referee what to do. And the whole logic behind it is it's to miss any clear and obvious errors made on the field by the referee. So, like, if there was a handball or, like, a player was, like, a foot offside that, like, you know, the linesman just was trying to sprint to catch up but couldn't quite catch it, uh, it it's meant to do that sort of stuff. It's like an instant replay. Right, it's an instant replay. That that's what That's what it's supposed to do. And, you know, there's precedence for that happening in other sports. And it's been... It's been implemented to pretty good success. However, VAR has been very controversial because it's been implemented in interesting ways. Uh, everyone, every soccer fan, you know, has a has a that feeling of panic when they after a goal is scored, they hear VAR check and they look at their screen and see the the tiny lines being drawn across the screen. Yeah, uh, to see if like a toe was offside. And, uh, you know, there's uh, all of this kind of stuff that goes into play. And you're thinking, wait a minute, what what is the point of this if we're checking for literally millimeters? Mm-hmm. And that kind of gets to the center of this debate. Uh, the, the big story that spurred this on as a discussion topic this week is with Liverpool's uh, Mo Salah getting a goal ruled out for offside by VAR, uh, for the sixth time this season, yeah. Liverpool have had more goals ruled out for off for uh, offside through VAR only. Through VAR, that's the important part. Than any other team in the past two seasons in the Premier League, wow. which is a incre- an incredibly high number. It's it, it's it's clearly gone a bit beyond its scope, in my opinion. And but before I get more into my opinion. AJ, what what are your opinions about VAR? I think, I think VAR. Well, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that question with a question. Okay. And I'm gonna turn it back to you, Jack. Do you think VAR has done more good than bad? That that's really tough to say, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. Honestly, I Ooh. I I think no. I I and, really do. And, and follow up question. I I have a couple follow up questions, and then I'll get to what I'm saying. Okay. A follow up question. If you had the choice, would you go back to a pre-VAR world? No VAR. Oof. That's really tough. But I I would These also These are important say, questions. Yeah, I know. It's it's important, but I I know this is going to sound contradictory, but I'm also going to say no to that. It sounds contradictory, but I think I can defend that position. Yeah. Well, it's not necessarily contradictory cuz I feel like a lot of people would say that it's ruined the game. But also, we should still keep it. Yeah. And my final follow-up question before I continue is, do you think the core issue of VAR is in the way it's implemented or how it is inherently? Like, just the, the tool of VAR is bad. Like, I which think, way do you see it? I think that it has to be a mixture of both. And I can explain what I, what I mean by that later, but I think it definitely comes down to more of the implementation than the inherent 
issues mm-hmm. behind VAR, but I think that both of them play a part in what makes it so ill-advised at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the reason why I bring that up is because in order to like talk about VAR, I have been thinking and writing stuff down about VAR since it was implemented because it's so interesting to me. Like, like, this is what makes soccer so interesting to me, is how subjective it can get sometimes. And so the first thing that people have asked themselves when they talk about video assistant referee is, do they think it's an inherent good? Like, does it actually add value if we're going to try to fix our errors? And some people care about the flow of the game so much that they don't want it, and that's fine, and they'd rather get rid of it. That's cool. But a lot, the majority of soccer fans, I believe, don't like the way that it's implemented. Like, that's their main problem. Because if you notice, like, the, the main example I can think of is the CONCACAF Champions League. They, for this version, the version before, they didn't have VAR. And it allowed a lot of bad fouls, a lot of bad calls to be made. And people were like, well, check VAR. And then they find out it's, there's no VAR. And it's like, so we're just going to, like, let this obvious error go unpunished and so people even though var is you know bad in a lot of ways that it's implemented people still want it because they want objectiveness in the game they still want the right the right thing to come out of the decisions people people's main issue with var in my opinion isn't the fact that it's ruining the game by making a pause or it's getting things wrong it's the fact that it's just getting the decisions wrong and it's not living up to the hype that it brought on. And so I feel like before we even discuss how to fix it or like what is necessarily wrong with it, we have to like come to terms with it's not necessarily that people want VAR gone. It's that people want VAR fixed. So right. what, what right. do you think is wrong with VAR? Well, I think there's a few things that go into this. Uh, one is this extrapolation of the clear and obvious rule. And mm-hmm. the and I think this is where it gets sort of into why VAR is inherently flawed, like the idea. The idea right. of having a computer screen and uh, the ability to do instant replays, to like create these lines, to check over footage with a computer and with other tools, inherently gives the idea that you can get them down to exact measurements. Yeah. Because you're you're faced with, like, you know, you can use technology to check all of this now instead of just, like, you know, uh, a, quick, uh, a quick glance at a video. Uh, it's a lot more intensive. And because of that, I think that this gets to a bit of power over it, and the search for objectivity in the game has right. led to, you know, where we see three or four times a week, it seems now, where they draw the lines across the screen to see if a toe or a nose was offside or something yeah. like that. And, I mean, like, it's... That happened. Sorry to interrupt, but, like, yeah, no. this is so, like, recent, these examples. I have three right here. Uh, a handball by Maddie Cash versus Southampton went completely uncalled, unchecked even, I don't think. Danny Ings, which is, the, I think, the one you're referring to, was, like so close to being onside but it was disallowed and that would have tied the game against Aston Villa and in the Manchester United game Bruno Fernandes had like a really really bad tackle 
on uh, one of the Arsenal players, or I think it was Arsenal, and no card. Ver- yeah. Verdict was was no card after after VAR reviewing it. So they're tr- like it, we're trying to find objectivity, but a it's it's failing because you know that they're not catching things, and b with Danny Ings, is that objectivity too far? Like, you know, continue with what you're saying. Right, like this idea of clear and obvious errors is that you know if if the referee was like right in place with it or if the linesman was perfectly positioned at that point in time would they have marked that as offside like yeah, if they did it again right if they did it again that that's how i read into clear and obvious sure and when you're when you're going back and looking like oh their toe was like an inch ahead of theirs part of me asks every time i hear that like is like the toe being an inch ahead of the defender mm-hmm. giving them that much of an advantage in in where it justifies stopping the game for five minutes or so just to, to say it. just to review it and then also is it really obvious that that happened or is it just like so minor that it it just doesn't even matter and more often than not it i feel i feel like it doesn't matter and then the other thing I want to talk about with, with this, and an issue that I think a lot of people have with it, is how inconsistently it's applied. Mm-hmm. Because last season, uh, and I know I know you and I were probably both dismayed by this decision, even though it's more goal line technology, but VAR could have had a play in this. Uh, Sheffield United versus Aston Villa. Uh, you know, Sheffield United... It looked like they scored a goal, and uh, Nyland, the Villa keeper, seemed to carry it into his own net. And VAR was like, oh, we can't actually check that, because we didn't have the right angle, or the right camera on. And it's like, are you, are, are you, are you kidding? <laughs> that, yeah. That's the entire job of, of VAR. You're, you're supposed to give the camera well, angle. In this, in this point, wait, wait, so... If I'm understanding this correctly, it's been a while since I've even thought about that goal because mm-hmm. I try not to think about Aston Villa <laughs> at all. But goal line technology didn't catch it. And then, if I'm understanding this correctly, VAR also couldn't tell? They couldn't tell because apparently the camera angle didn't cover it. Okay. And okay. then this also came up even rec- more recently with MLS. Uh, Minnesota United versus Sporting Kansas City. Johnny, Ru- uh, I think it was Johnny Russell. I believe so. Uh, scoring an 81st minute goal on a counterattack, and the cameras supposedly didn't catch him to see if he was onside or not. And yeah. it's it's just those kinds of small moments where you're looking at them and saying, God, this is inconsistent. Like, what's the point of having a computer and camera system to catch all of these things that are supposedly clear and obvious if it doesn't even catch them with, the, like, with regularity and exactly. doesn't check them? And, like, you know... Uh, just one other example, because I, I'm still furious about this, because I feel like this could have taken the wind out of Manchester United and potentially saved Frank Lampard. Uh, when when uh, United and Chelsea were playing, Harry Maguire chokes out Azpilicueta in the box, like, dragging right. him to the ground, and VAR's like, eh, we don't need to look at it. And then the other end of the pitch, they go down, and uh, Harry Maguire and I think it was Kurt Zuma both jump for a ball. And then VAR's like, oh, hold on, we gotta check for this. 
And yeah. it, it just doesn't make sense how inconsistently it's applied there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm going to get back to the inconsistency, but just like to talk on that a little bit. A lot of it is like, I believe there's di- there's some instances where VAR can't overturn something. You know, there's only there's only certain times where like VAR can can't give a yellow card or, or can't card someone if they look at a foul or whatever. Can't you know, revoke the, a second yellow, I think. Yeah, is one yeah, of them. exactly. Like there's all these like Byzantine rules. And I'll get to that. But what I really want to talk about, because you, you brought up very, very succinctly, is the idea that people try to find objectivity. And that's the, the main issue with VAR, in my mind, is trying to find objectivity when you simply cannot. People don't want VAR to be super, like extremely objective. They want it to make the right calls. And there's a difference between what is objectively a right call and what is in like what a lot of people refer to the spirit of the rules, the right call. And, you know, the way I look at it and you, you, you put this great is if a toe's out of line and the toe makes the person offside. Yes, objectively, that's the, the right call. But to the spirit of the rules, it's not giving them an advantage. And so the way that we should be looking at VAR isn't this tool to like to take the the lines out. Like I feel like if you take if you have to take the lines out, put it in favor of the attacker because it's it's it probably isn't gonna help them too much. If trying to trying to find objectivity and then try to like break the game down into these rules, reading them as black and white is to me the wrong thing to do because you're going to get bad calls that don't actually affect the game like you're going to get calls where the thing that they're infringing on the rule that they're infringing on doesn't actually matter and so i like to think about the law and because you know this is you know the laws of the game yeah when the judge and the jury uh decide on a crime they have to uh, they have to first see if that person did the crime so if that person is offside if that person did a handball and second they have to decide on the punishment which i know like can get subjective like i understand that and maybe people don't actually want that but with var it's only doing the first thing it's only saying like are you offside okay well then here's your punishment when if you look at it through like this lens of how it is with the justice system and with law you have to first see if that person's offside and second see like oh they're offside but like does it actually matter and if it doesn't matter then the the punishment should not be the same as if they were like egregiously offside you know it's same thing with handball you know does the punishment i guess what i'm trying to say fit the crime you know, because objectively you can say, well, that's a handball penalty if it's in the box. But if you're trying to look at it from a very just way of viewing it, you should say, oh, that's a handball. It didn't affect the game at all. So let's call it as no call. And sometimes they do that in the past. You know, they obviously didn't. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I, I have a question for you based off okay. of this. So. Uh, 
when you let let's take like the offside thing you're saying for example this, this idea of does the punishment fit the crime i guess like if if someone is offside how would you like make a less strict punishment i guess that 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 that's my question because to to me like for offside you there's two levels there's it's a goal or it's not so is there yeah, like sure. a level between there yeah if uh no well it's uh if if they if they're super close and you can't really tell and it, and them being offside doesn't really impede the defender at all and it doesn't really affect the game too much that they're like this th- this tiny little bit offside then if they did end up scoring a goal you let it stand you like you 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 give the attacker i guess the benefit of the doubt okay because because taking it back because of that i feel like doesn't really fit the crime you know so you know that's that's the way i see it yeah and then i i mean i i think i think that makes sense at least for for that but the other thing is like i i just want i just want to touch on another element of a var and what it does because it affects the game so much i feel like because every single goal uh, I, w- I was actually watching some old Chelsea highlights the other day, uh, and I, I think it was um, a goal Olivier Giroud scored against Tottenham, I think it was uh, last February or something. Uh, and the commentators were like, oh, there's going to be a check here. I guess it's for offside. Who really knows at this point, though? And you can just see, like, the attitude of the team changes. Like, you know, in that instance, it's a derby goal. And it was a great finish by Giroud. Like he vol, like mm-hmm. it, uh, it comes off the crossbar, and he hits it on a volley, and like just destroys Lloris at the at the near post. And right. what should be an incredible moment of celebration just gets cut short by by like a you know this uh, VAR checking, and like it kind mm-hmm. of ruins the element of the game. And at yeah. at that point, like. If you're if you're really that unsure, like in some cases, I guess like it makes sense. But if if it's like that close, how how really useful is it to go back and check it? Like if yeah, if, if especially like if they blow it for offside, like thirty to forty five seconds after the goal is scored, that that's mm-hmm. when it bothers me the most because yeah. at that point it feels like you're reaching for it, and it also yeah. kind of hurts the integrity of the sport because then you have people being able to feel like their ideas like oh the referees are clearly biased against this team or like clearly favor this team and that just doesn't help anyone yeah you you have to think like i said before does the punishment fit the crime if if it's not if it's not egregiously wrong the call then keep the keep the call if it's not clear clear and obvious to the point where that linesman would have called it differently then give credence to the attacker give the attacker the goal like to take it away and to take all that time looking is is bad and i i said i talk about the inconsistency and you know the, the inconsistency comes yeah from the not just the implementation but just how we are using var and I feel like it comes from the way that we are setting up how VAR can be used. 
I feel like the rules are too Byzantine on when VAR can come in, how long VAR has to take, who gets to use VAR, whether it's like the 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 uh, head referee goes into his headset, but then it's like, no, actually, I'm going to go check, and that takes forever to actually <laughs> go check. It, they're so inconsistent on how they implement it between games, between leagues, that I feel like one of the key things that they need to do in order to fix VAR, and then this is where we you know, start talking about the issues of R and how we fix it is have a centralized figure handle the VAR checks. And it's not the head referee because the head referee already has enough things to deal with that they shouldn't have to like go to the monitor and take five minutes just to see if a goal is two inches offside. I, some people don't like this. I kind of like the way that the NFL does things in the, in the NFL, they have, in their league office in New York, this these guys in a room where all they do is they check to make sure that the calls are right. So they're like, oh, uh, a goal just got scored. Let's see if there's any like egregious offside. No, there isn't. They tell the referee, let it stand, done. And usually those calls can take a little bit, but if you have a centralized figure handling all of that, that takes away the the referee taking too long and taking like like you said with the the Giroud goal the wins out of the sale of the game and secondly if you have a centralized figure you can retailer the way that VAR is utilized and so you can have VAR be used at pretty much any point like it doesn't have to be like oh well you can't overturn a, a second yellow or, or whatever so it requires you know, restructuring the rules but having a centralized figure in London or in New York or in Paris or wherever it is can help expedite the process and can help you make VAR a little bit more universal and more well understood. You know? Right, right. I, I see what you mean. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of like what you can really do to, to make it better beyond what you already said. But I think the biggest thing is we need to change our perception of what VAR is for. Because I think sure. we've lost sight yes. of what it is meant to be. It's not meant to be, like, this thing that checks down to the exact, like, exactly. e exact inch. Or the exact, everything, like, has to be perfectly uh, made. Like, it, if, if there's, like, a hair offside, then it's offside. It, it, that's not what the purpose was. That's never what the purpose was supposed to be. And it's a shame that that's what we've let it become. We need to, we need to just remember, and I think, like, you need to kind of, like, write this in the rules, like, right at the top of, of the section about VAR, is VAR is meant to overturn clear and obvious errors, and then define a clear and obvious error. It's something that if the play was done again, it would have been caught by, like, your average skilled referee, yeah. right? Like, it, none of this business about, like, oh, their elbow was offside, and that gives them a clear advantage. No. Do, mm -hmm. Does it really? And Yeah, like I said before, if you need to take the lines out, it's not offside. Right. If you need the lines, it's it, not if offside. You need, if you need to bring out these lines, it, it's so clearly not clear and obvious. It, and, yeah. you know, I, I think that's one of the main issues because, you know, you can talk about like changing all of these principles behind it and everything, but.
But when it comes down to it, the attitude towards VAR has changed so much that it's all about, like, that it's gotten completely away from us. And we mm-hmm. need to redefine what it means and what it's meant to do. And I think a good example of how this is done is in the UEFA Nations League this past fall. They didn't, really? they didn't use VAR at all. Uh, there was no VAR implemented in any games. And, you know, goals were correctly called for offside. And everything, and, you know, it... I thought you wanted VAR. Now you want to get rid of it? Well, like, I mean, it it, it's, it kind of shows, like, what it, what it could be like, I guess. It, it's not perfect, obviously. But it shows that, you know, it, it it's, it's clear to see when there is a clear and obvious error. Like, okay. you don't necessarily need to rely on it to give you that replay. You... And uh, I think that that's the main issue. It's this reliance okay, on the see. technology. I see. That was phrased confusingly. I know, but yeah, no, it, you, I you know, it. like you can you can see. It. So you yeah. don't like my you don't like my centralized uh, inner room reviewing. I think that it's interesting, but I also think that who who would be the central authority with this? Because if you're talking the about FA, the FA. Oh, I mean, like, doesn't Stockley Park already do that though? For VAR, I mean. They're not. They're not the ones that make the final call. Right. Okay. I I see That's what you thing. mean. Okay. And because because there are like actual referees in the match who I think I like at the stadium watch and then give the head referee their verdict. But I'm talking about like no, just take the, all that out. Have like people whose literal job descriptions are VAR referees be like this is this is the correct call. Override the head referee. Like be like all right, this is the ruling. But at the same time, like, you don't, that can't just be the only change to VAR. Like, making it, like, a very structured thing. You also, like you said, have to have a different way of viewing VAR. Like, the only time VAR should come in is if they miss something very egregious. Like, like, if there's a, if you miss the foul, don't call in VAR. Right. If a, a foul was so dangerous that it could have injured someone maybe var comes in and like hey man you, you missed this give this person a red card right i the the thing the thing i want to i want to say about that though is what worries me about the idea of a centralized authority handling var is that it also plays into this idea of a reliance on var and saying like oh we I definitely get we that. need like a, this centralized authority to deal with all of this because it's such a it's such an essential and complex process and it, yeah. that that's my worry with it i think it could be good it, i mean like it might be worth like a pilot program or something but at sure. the same time i think the main thing has to come down to how we view and perceive right. VAR to be because I, I think you need to structure that sort of change before you can get into the nitty gritty of the rules. I I definitely agree. And yeah, I mean you're you're definitely right. Like like thinking back, like the central authority, I still do think that would be a really good idea, but that comes that definitely comes after we really take a look at the rules and how we're interpreting it. Yeah. I because if I have to see Danny Ings not get a goal because his like butts offside, then w- what's the point of VAR? You know, right? Like you said, perfectly. Yeah, I. I mean, I think I think that's definitely worth your your idea might be worth like a pilot program 
or something just to see. Yeah. Give it to MLS. Could this be, yeah. Could, could this be effective? Could uh, I mean, yeah. like, it's possible that it could be and that it could really solve the issues. But I, I think like, uh, you know, we I think it needs to come after this grander restructuring of it. And then also, as we kind of hinted at earlier, making it more uniform because the the rules from country to country to league to league just seem to vary so widely. Like uh, one, one example that I remember uh, last season, uh, Atalanta versus Juventus. Um, an Atalanta player had their arms against their chest and the ball mm-hmm. hit their arm and VAR looked at it and it was like, oh, that's a handball. And then you you look at like the Premier League and if that happens, they're like, oh, no, no. It, it's or like even if it's like moving towards the chest and it hits the yeah. arm, they're like, oh, it's clearly moving towards it. It's yeah. it's that kind of sort of flexibility before it that I think could make like a central authority really helpful on yeah. this. But. No, I I think we I think we've covered most of the main points on here. Basically, we we can both agree that VAR has a lot of problems right now, and that yes. E, but e, given all those problems, it still needs to be there. It's just got to go through some real restructuring before it can be truly what it's meant to be. It's meant to be an, a tool to help the game and to make sure that referees who just aren't in the right place at the right time catch clear and obvious errors and that's the main and that's the main thing if it's not clear yes. and obvious don't use it and i think that's that, that's the main point that we need to remember from this all right well that is our episode of the final third before we leave, Jack, do you have anything to say to the listeners? Obviously, as always, follow our Twitter at Final Third Show, and uh, you know, interact with us on there. Uh, you know, we'll we'll probably be putting out a few posts about VAR in this week just to get some more conversation going about, like, you know, what everyone else's thoughts are about the topic because it's controversial. But we want to hear your controversial opinions on the matter. And uh, at, in addition to the Twitter. You can follow our YouTube channel or subscribe. Uh, just search The Final Third. It's the same logo that appears on our podcast page. And uh, last week we posted a great interview or great segment of our podcast about uh, Thomas Tuchel taking over at Chelsea. Uh, so check that out. Check out any of our other videos there. And that's all I have to say. Right. And as always, it helps so much if you're able to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, give us a follow wherever you listen to us, and you know, tell a friend. If you have a friend who has some dumb opinions on VAR or thinks that or thinks that Baltimore should get a World Cup hosting rights, you know, you know, give this podcast to them. Tell them to listen. It it helps so much. We're so happy with our listenership so far and you know, we just wanna we just wanna keep on growing. Uh, or, you know, as always, you could tell your dad. We want, we want the dads out there, uh, uh, tweeting at us. That kind of sounds like, uh, uh, not child friendly, but you know what I mean? You know what I mean? So with that, that is our episode of the final third checks back again early next week for our news and predictions show. And then we'll see you back here for our deep dive episode. Same time, same place. All right. Have a good one.